Good morning. Happy Father's Day again to all the dads, foster dads, stepdads, grandpas, etc. Um, I woke up to some very wonderful handmade cards from my kiddos this morning. A little shout out. Thanks for that, guys. This morning, we're going to begin our summer teaching series. I think, oh, there it is, Where the Wind Blows. I'm really excited for this. Um, it's going to go for the next about two and a half months, and it's a, it's a series specifically focused on the Holy Spirit, what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to live life in the Spirit, um, what that feels like, what that looks like, all the things the Bible talks a lot about God the Holy Spirit and how we experience relationship with our Father by His Spirit whom He gives to us. So that is beginning today. Can we stand together, please? I'm going to read a portion of Scripture out of the book of John. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Father, would you help us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher? Even as I share the words that I have prepared for us this morning, Lord, would it, would it truly be your words that we hear, your heart that we uh, connect with? Help us in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Nicodemus, the great teacher of Israel. He was part of a, a group of Jewish believers called the Pharisees. Um, these 
people took scripture very, very seriously. Um, I don't need to go into the, the sort of lifestyle that they would have been indoctrinated into at a very, very young age. But if you were a Pharisee, you would have uh, virtually memorized large portions, if not the entirety of what we call the Old Testament or Torah. Um, these people were very, very serious. Um, sometimes they get a bad name because that from time to time, as we read the story of Jesus, as we kind of walk with Jesus through the Gospels, we find Jesus encountering the Pharisees and oftentimes they're debating. Uh, they're questioning him. They don't like him. Uh, ultimately, many of them conspire to have him murdered uh, by the Romans. But this Nicodemus, he seems a bit more genuine than that. They're not all bad. They're not all these you know, baddies, these religious hypocrites. This Nicodemus, he seemed curious. In fact, he's quite happy to acknowledge the fact that this Jesus, he, he says, we, Rabbi, we know that you've got to be from God. There's something about you that's real, that's legit, because how else could you do these miracles that we've been witnessing? You're obviously from God. He's very curious. Although it's interesting that he goes to see Jesus by night. So there's obviously some like, um, it almost feels like there's some political elements uh, to this scene. He doesn't want to be seen with Jesus. He has to keep it on the down low. But he's, he's curious nonetheless. Jesus, we know that you're the real deal. How can I get in on the action? That's how I kind of read it. I want to know, like, what, what is this all about? I'm curious. And Jesus responds, unless one is born again, or, or unless one is born from above. The, the language there, the Greek, can be interpreted a couple of different ways. Unless one is born from above, or unless one is born again, They'll never see the kingdom. You'll never experience what this is all about. Um, so let's talk about it. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit or to be born again? Um, undoubtedly, many of us have heard that phrase, particularly if you've been in the church for a little while, born again. Um, it actually, it's, it's a little tragic um, but it's almost become a bit of a cliche uh, phrase, born again. Like it's a, a particular kind of Christianity for people who are like especially enthusiastic about these things. Um, but that's not true. This is, this is how Jesus responds to the, the genuine question. What is this kingdom? What is it all about? I want in. I'm curious. How does it work? How can I partake in this life that we're all witnessing. You've got to be born again. You have to be born from above. So, this is the starting point of our journey. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit, to experience um, a life with Jesus that's... Um, more than just words, more than just precepts, more than just religious rites or rote, but an actual experience of his kingdom where you're not just waxing theological, we're not just um, hypothesizing about spiritual things, but we're actually partaking in life in the kingdom. And how does that work? What exactly is that? How does one 
participate in that? And why is that so important? Why do we need to talk about this? So that's actually how I'm going to break down the sermon this morning. What is it? How does it work? And why should we care? So let's begin with the most obvious. What exactly is Jesus talking about? What does it mean to be born from above or to be born again? Um, There's obviously a metaphor at play here. Jesus, um, in saying you must be born again, um, he's talking about a type of rebirth. And Nicodemus rightly asks the, the kind of the obvious or makes the obvious point by asking the question like, well, how can someone who's old re-enter their mother's womb and be born again? Like that's, that's ridiculous, right? Um, and Jesus essentially doesn't even really acknowledge the question because he's right, that is ridiculous. It's obviously not what he's talking about. So there's a meta- metaphorical element to this notion of being born again. Um, it's like a newborn coming into the world. But then he compares being born of the spirit with the wind blowing, which is actually a bit of a play on words. In the Greek, wind, pneuma, it's the same word for spirit. So there's something about, and you see that same sort of metaphor being used in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew, the words ruach. It's the same word used for wind and spirit. So there's something about the spirit that's like the wind. Um, you can't see where it's coming from or where it's going, but you can, you can feel it. You can witness its effects. It's very real, but it's like the wind. You can't necessarily put it in a box. And so it's something like that. It's like the wind blowing where it wishes. It's hard to put your finger on it, but it's definitely there. You can feel it. You can see its effects. It's not just an idea. It's an experiential reality. There's something experiential about this. To be born of the Spirit means to become a child of God. Or to actually become like Jesus specifically in my experience of relating to God. Um, Elsewhere in the New Testament, it's put this way. This is out of Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. For he did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. To be born of the Spirit, to experience spiritual rebirth, it's to actually feel like a child of God. It's to be born again, it's to relate to God in the same way that Jesus related to his Father. It's more than just an idea. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. The the Holy Spirit works to convince us on an internal level that you are a son or a daughter of God. You are loved. And the Holy Spirit wants us to just not simply sort of mentally ascend to the notion, but to be convinced that I'm a son 
You're a daughter. We are children of God. We are beloved, just like Jesus. And I would argue, again, I'm going to emphasize this over and over. I think there's something about this, the way Jesus is describing it to Nicodemus. There's an experiential element to this. It goes beyond knowledge. To be born again is to identify as a beloved child of God. It's to experience your identity in a love relationship with God. It is to know God as your father, just like Jesus. And not just as a matter of talk, but in a real and felt experience of love. To be born of the Spirit is to know the love of God in a way that surpasses mental ascension. It is to feel loved. It is to know in your spirit you are loved as undeniably as you could feel the wind on your body. That is to be born again. Of course, there's much more that could be said about it, which is why we're going to take the whole summer to dive deep. But that's where we start. So, what does it mean to be born again? It means something like to be, to experience a rebirth such that you begin to feel beloved. I'm beginning to relate to God as my father, just like Jesus. I'm beginning to identify as a child of God. How does this work? Okay, now I don't necessarily assume that everyone is like, totally in agreement with me. In fact, I hope there's a few of you here who are like, man, I'm, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening, but I have questions. I have questions. Okay, good, good, that's fine. Because there's a lot more that can be said. But how? Let's suppose that I'm absolutely right. And I actually think I am. I think I'm 100% right. I think I am, I'm doing really, really good theology. Okay? Convinced. It begs the all-important question, okay, how? 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 And this is, what, this is what Nicodemus says in verse 9. How can these things be? How? And it's not in like this um, indignant, sort of like antagonistic way, but how, Jesus? How? How can I experience this? How can these things be? A few things. Number one, it takes more than mental ascension. Jesus says in verses 14 and 15, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he's referring to Numbers chapter 21. I'll unpack it in just a second. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's referring to himself and the cross. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And elsewhere, he defines eternal life as knowing God, knowing him now and in the age to come, what we might call heaven, when the kingdom comes. More than mental ascension, Jesus describes, this, this is how one experiences a spiritual rebirth. You must believe in the same way the people of God looked on the serpent that was lifted up. So in Numbers chapter 21, there's this um, really uh, shocking story, this event that takes place. God's people have been set free. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're no longer enslaved to Egypt, and they're trusting God as he leads them across the wilderness. And it's quite a journey. 
quite a journey, a lot of ups and downs. And along the way, they end up complaining a lot. They struggle to trust that God is good and faithful and, and is going to take care of them as he leads them into the promised land. So one of these times, they begin to moan and complain. It's not good. God sends fiery serpents to, um, to deal with his people. Shocking. These serpents begin to bite them. And they flip out. They realize, like, well, we, hey, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. Um, <laughs> help, help. And they, they're sort of, it's, it's shocking. And God says, of course, of course I want to help you. It's, it's the reason why God ever disciplines his children. It's to help us. And so they're sort of like, they, they come to their senses and they realize, what, what are we doing? Like, God has done nothing but take care of us the whole time. And so they cry out to God, and God speaks to Moses, and he says, okay, I want you to take, um, cast a bronze serpent and attach it to a pole and lift it up. He's actually foreshadowing how God's going to save his people when Jesus is lifted up on a cross. And he says, whoever looks upon this bronze serpent that's lifted up will be saved. And that's exactly what God does. It's kind of bizarre, but it's this amazing... Um, Picture. You know, um, the symbol that you'll see on like um, hospitals and medical things, if you've ever looked closely, it's actually like this sort of serpent that's coiled around some kind of a rod. It's that image. That's where that comes from. It's, it's the symbol of healing. God is saying, if you want to experience this spiritual rebirth. You need to believe that I'm able to rescue you. Look to me in a way that actually goes beyond mere mental ascension. Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel. He wasn't lacking information. What he didn't understand, though, was something about what it means to, um, to trust, to believe that Jesus is the one who's come to rescue as if one's life depended on it. It's a different kind of quote-unquote believing. It's something more akin to a deep trust, a dependency. How do you catch wind? You don't catch wind by chasing it. You don't experience the presence of wind by chasing the wind. You raise your sail. You open your sail wide knowing that apart from Jesus, we go nowhere. We just simply sit still in the water and you can tread water for a while. You can develop a religious lifestyle. You can, you, can, you can amass information about the Bible and religion and spirituality. And you could perhaps even uh, apply some of the concepts in order to uh, save yourself, as it were. But you can only tread water for so long. We experience the presence of God in our lives 
when we begin to trust God in a way that's radically dependent on him helping us, healing us, rescuing us, leading us, carrying us, being a reality in our lives. Jesus, um, he said this in Luke chapter 5 when he was being questioned by some of the other Pharisees. He was spending time with quote-unquote sinners, uh, tax collectors, prostitutes. Um, and they said, Jesus, why do you associate with, uh, with these folks? And Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, um, Jesus becomes a reality in our lives. We experience the love of God or relationship with our Father um, in a way that's beyond mental ascension, we begin to realize that Jesus didn't come to just um, give me some, uh, some tips or to kind of like, you know, um, I don't know, level up my spirituality, my morality. Apart from Jesus, I'm sick. I'm going to die in the wilderness. I'm a boat with, with a, without wind. I go nowhere. I'm sinking. But Jesus says, if you realize that you need me, that you're sick, and that you need uh, the, the physician of your soul to come and heal you from the inside out, then you are who I'm here for. You'll experience the, the healing reality of my life, not just an idea about my love, but the actual experience of my love. And this is, this is the metaphor. This is the picture. Like the serpent that was lifted up in the desert. Jesus has come to save people who are in desperate need of him. Need, there's the key word. I need you, Jesus. And that's how we begin to experience. More than mental ascension, more than uh, more content consumption. I just alluded to this. Nicodemus, the teacher. Is it a bad idea to read your Bible, to memorize scripture, to become a Bible nerd? Super good idea. In fact, the older I get, I'm not that old, but um, the more I, the longer I follow Jesus, the wiser I become. Um, the more I'm convinced that daily Bible reading is like, it's, it's key. It's crucial. It's one of the primary ways that I actually connect with God. But here's something else I've realized. It's not about more content consumption. And we live in a world that's obsessed with content consumption. Just more information, more information, more information. Once I've got all the information, then I want someone to kind of like uh, break it down in a way that I can feel super smart. There's something about the way our brains are wired. I like to feel like I'm learning. It's like deeply satisfying. And every time I learn something new, it almost makes me feel like I'm, I'm like progressing. I'm going someplace. I'm getting better. I have more control. Like there's something happening. But I've realized over the last 20 years, I've read this book so many times. 
I've, I've memorized large portions of it. I begin to actually like talk Bible without even realizing it. I just start quoting scripture like it's, it's in me. But I've realized the more I've dived deep into God's word, it's not about content consumption. It's about meditating deeply on the living word. I don't think, um, like, unless you've spent very little time around the Bible, there's a very good chance that you have enough biblical information in your mind already. Now, some of you are like, you, that's like, mm, red flags, red flags. I'm saying it, and I believe it. We've got so much content, it's ridiculous, it's bonkers. But I believe many of us have forgotten how to do um, what the Bible refers to as meditation. It's told in Joshua chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1, meditate on this word day and night. Think deeply. Enter in to the world of scripture. Let God's word begin to read you as you meditate on God's spirit-breathed word. When I imagine a guy like Nicodemus, what's his problem? Lack of content? No, for sure not. You would say, oh, but he didn't have the New Testament. That's bad theology. (laughs) He had everything Jesus had. He had everything the apostles had. What he didn't have is a revelation of what it means to actually be born of the Spirit. And I think that perhaps many of us are in that same place. Man, I've been, I've been reading this book since I was, yay high. And yet there's still something about um, our relationship with God that feels more like words on paper versus an actual experiential reality of God's love. And I don't say that to judge anyone. It's not going to help any of us. But I want all of us to actually grow and like, man, what does it feel like to be loved by God? What does it feel like to meditate on scripture and to realize that I am being wooed into like intimate conversation with my father? How does one experience this rebirth, becoming a child of God? Last point on this one. And then I'll try to convince you why you should care about any of this. Um, It'll take more than a moment. It'll take more than mental ascension. It'll take more than uh, more content consumption. And it's going to take more than a moment. Romans 8.23 says, we are, this is in the same context of the Romans 8 that I read a minute ago about becoming a child of God. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is a lifelong process, not just an initiation moment. 
Many of us um, have made the mistake or you've been taught poorly that to be born again is just something that happens like, like one time. Like, have you been born again? Did you did that? Oh, so you're filled with the Spirit? Okay, cool. Let's talk about other things now. And that's, that's just not how it works. There's something about um, I can be born again. I can experience some sort of a, a spiritual rebirth. And there's absolutely a starting point. There was for me. For many others of you, it was much more gradual process. You're like, I don't know when it started. It's just been happening. It's been happening, and I couldn't tell you the day, but I've been experiencing this um, transformational process that the Spirit has been doing in me. Great. Keep it going. In the same way um, a child comes into the world, it doesn't happen with just one push. So I'm told. So I've seen (laughs) There's an inward groaning. There's labor. And that's the metaphor. There's creation itself. It's experiencing the labor pains of God's recreation of the world. And the process isn't done until my body itself is redeemed. Something that starts in the inside is meant to keep working out, keep happening. There's this inward groaning, this moaning, too deep for words. And the process is complete when creation and even my body itself is also redeemed. That's when I've received my adoption as a child of God. Um, The book of Galatians, the whole book is sort of committed to this. This idea that we begin in the spirit. This encounter with the risen Jesus. And he does something that's, that's virtually beyond words. It's the power of the gospel unto salvation. But we don't just start there. We don't just begin with this spiritual encounter, this regeneration, as it were. We begin and finish in the spirit. Galatians 3.3, 3, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The flesh not being like um, your physical body. The flesh being this mentality that I can, I can finish what God started by like my, my own moral aptitude. My own ability to, to do all the right things or to, to, to understand all the right concepts. We must remain in labor, to use the child labor metaphor. Do you care? Why? Why is this important? Um, I think some people like uh, to think about this kind of stuff because it's, I don't know, it's kind of cool. Some people want uh, to feel the presence of God. Some people are just into um, spiritual experiences. Okay, that's fine. Others are perfectly happy just 
being still and listening. Quite, quite happy just living in a cerebral world, a disembodied world that's, I think, increasingly becoming our world, our digital world, our, um, yeah, our online world. Why is Jesus answering Nicodemus this way? Genuinely curious, wanting to understand. And this, this is where he goes. You've got to experience something that's as real as the wind blowing. It's not just an idea. It's not just something, a concept to ascend to. There's something for you to experience. And in the rest of the New Testament, we're going to look a lot at the book of Acts, like the Holy Spirit keeps showing up and doing things. We get to actually like uh, sort of jump into the story and, and, and imagine like, well, what does this look like for us? What might Acts 29 look like in our lives? You ever wonder? Have you ever read Acts 29? I don't think you have. There's only 28 chapters. What if we were to live it? What if we were to live it? Christianity without the Spirit in the way that I'm talking about it, it isn't only boring and dry, it's actually detrimental. Without the Spirit, we weaponize truth and use it to shame and control. That's truth without love. Without the Spirit, more knowledge just leads to greater arrogance. That's knowledge without humility. Without the Spirit, instead of peace and joy and righteousness, we're simply left with a new written code and a lingering fear of punishment. That's purity without freedom. Without the Spirit, not only is Christianity boring, it actually becomes really dangerous, detrimental. But with the Spirit, we get everything. Following Jesus becomes an epic adventure, a story that we're invited to participate in. More than just words and religious theories about life, you get to experience living in relationship with the one who is the very essence of life. You get to live a life of deep comfort and security knowing that you are loved. You get to live a life of adventure and purpose knowing that the decisions that you make in this life will have eternal ramifications. You get to experience a full life. Not an easy life, but a life full of beauty and compassion and meaning and freedom and sacrificial love. Which one do you want? It's important because if we do a very honest and simple survey of the world around us, I'm, I'm convinced that you guys will all know what I'm talking about when I say this. The world is full of beloved brothers and sisters who are simply practicing the routine of religion without hearts that are full of God's love. Not that they're not saved. Now, they won't be in heaven someday. That's between them and God. God only knows. But it's like the Galatians. 
You can, you can sign up for Jesus. And then at some point along the way, you can somehow lose the plot and forget that actually that this wasn't just to get me in. I stop living. My sail goes flat when I forget that there is no life outside of the spirit of life. God pouring his love into my heart daily, filling me daily, causing me to become more and more like Christ, a beloved son or daughter every day. It's daily bread from heaven. It's, it's a lifelong journey. And we need to be reminded of this because the world doesn't need any more dead religionists, people who, who actually end up just fighting over truth versus realizing that Jesus is the truth, who leads us and who teaches us, who empowers us to experience life the way he did as beloved children of God who get to love others. We don't just fight with our enemies. We get to lay our lives down for our enemies. We don't just fight about who's right. We worship the one who is the truth and we experience true life. Our world needs more Christians who are full of the Spirit, who are being filled with the Spirit. We all need that. I think we all deeply desire that. Can we stand together, please? So what we're going to do for the next several weeks, um, we're not going to um, figure out ways to somehow like uh, create emotional moments. We're not going to try to manufacture what might feel like a spiritual encounter. That's, that's chasing the wind. It's just chasing the wind. You can do that. We could... Think of all sorts of creative ways to like create what feels like very spiritual experiences. Um, we're not going to do that. But what we are going to do, though, is turn our attention uh, to what God's word is wanting to, to say to us. This is how we experience not just the idea of Jesus, but Jesus who is alive and who is with us and who lives in us. God the Spirit. Is present, the Spirit of Christ, as the New Testament puts it, who lives in us. And who knows, maybe something, um, maybe something radical will happen among us. Maybe we'll begin to experience a, a type of like, um, how do they say it? An outpouring. Where as we gather, we begin to experience the presence of God that just leaves us speechless. Where it's like, man, just put the microphone down. And let's just, let's just enjoy the presence of our king. Or maybe we'll begin to really sense the leading of the spirit in a way that's like, okay, this is now going beyond like, here's some like tips and tricks on how to, you know, like make more money or whatever, whatever, whatever your need is, whatever your real legitimate need is. What if the Spirit begins to lead us in a way that's not just giving us simple solutions to like really, really comp 
complicated problems, but what if the Spirit begins to lead us in a way to where we find ourselves just being like wooed into like a deep experience of God's presence. Like where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we don't leave here with just like more sort of principles to apply, but we, we leave this place closer to our Father. Like where we're being changed on an identity level. Like what, what, what would that look like if I leave this place feeling like I'm loved? There is nothing, nothing in this world, nothing in heaven or on earth that will separate me from the love of my Father in Christ. And then we begin to like live like that deeply, deeply secure, compassionate people. Are we, oh, anything could happen. Anything could happen. That could change everything. And so that's, that's my hope. I, I want that personally. Oh my goodness, I desire that so deeply. I want that for us. I want that for our city. No one's gonna be pressured into doing anything or somehow becoming, acting like someone you're not. Lift your hands, pray in tongues, do this, twirl around. You know, like, we're not going to become that church. But I want everyone to lift their hands. I want everyone to pray in tongues just as much as I do. Like, I want all the things. I really do. But we're going to let the Spirit lead us. We're going to let the Spirit lead us. Oh, Jesus, would you help us now? Father, would you pour your love into our hearts afresh this morning? by your spirit whom you have given to us. Father, would you open the eyes of our hearts to see you, Lord Jesus, to see you more clearly, that we would behold the beautiful one, that we would experience the reality of your love, that we would be changed. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, all of these things that, that you are would begin to just flow out of us as you fill us and fill us and fill us and fill us with your Holy Spirit.